have, the physical families that you have, uh, set us in. We're so thankful for you, your presence, and your constant encouragement, love, and uh, guidance. Please be with this time as we consider what a great father you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed my morning. Jasmine, my seven-year-old, she was hanging out with me this morning, and we decided we were going to dance a little bit, so we did the twist. Oh. <laughs> then after um, Melba left, she, she came actually to help out with the setup and really appreciate the bow tie. Appreciate the sisters encouraging us. And then, uh, and then I was trying to get Canela to, to uh, come out and break dance with me and Jasmine because we were trying to break dance a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got to have fun with your kids. I appreciate Theo's message. That's important. Um, and then I, as on the way in, I got a chance to talk a little bit with uh, Richard, and he was telling me how proud of April he is, and we were talking about just how what an amazing singer she was. And uh, then I got a chance to talk to Jesus, you got to talk to Jesus, too, at church. That's good. But I got a chance to talk to Jesus, and he's like, Mike, he, he uh, was kind and blessed me with a book um, a few weeks back and uh, about parenting. And it just made me think about what a great group of just family members, church family members that we have, where we're all concerned about each other uh, being great parents. And um, so I appreciate that, you know, the people that we have here. I wanted to share a few facts with you about Father's Day and remind us of why we celebrate. Father's Day is the third Sunday in June. It's a time to honor fathers and their role in the family and community. There is a lady by the name of Sonora Louise Smart Dodd. She was 16 years old when her mother died, and that left her dad to be a widower. She had five younger brothers, so they, in total, they, he had six kids. In 1909, she was sitting around listening to a Mother's Day sermon when she realized that there wasn't a way that she could honor her father. And she felt like, I really want to honor my dad. And to me, that was, that's such a special thing when you think about that. She's like, I, I want to do something. So she decided to bring some of the churches together to figure out how to start a Father's Day. And, and so they did. And this was up in Spokane, Washington. Over the next 50 years of her life, she campaigned for the cause of promoting Father's Day. So in 1972, officially, nationwide, we began a national celebration of Father's Day. So that to me is pretty amazing. So on the first Father's Day in Spokane, families honor fathers by wearing roses, red for those still alive, and white for those who were deceased. Um, pastors in the Presbyterian and Methodist churches gave Father's Day sermons, the city's mayor, and even the state's governor issued Father's Day proclamations. 76% of Americans plan to celebrate their fathers uh, this year in some way. You know, I appreciate Last week, Amir and Maria, they came on stage, right, and they taught us about Christian meditation, and we, we learned some really great things about how to read our Bibles and a lot of good stuff there. Well, I thought about what, what would be a good meditation exercise? <laughs> I thought about if you can take the time sometime this week or today 
as a father or even as a, as a parent in general. But I wanted to focus on fathers today since it's Father's Day. About how being a father is a privilege. God has entrusted, and I want you to be thinking these thoughts. God has entrusted me with the care of, of ultimately his children. This is a weighty responsibility from God. He believes in me and has great expectations of how I will represent him as my children's earthly father. What does God expect of me? What do my children need? I can meet those expectations that God has for me to be a great father to my children. God has equipped me and empowered me. He knows that it will not be easy, but he has set an example and I can learn from him. You know, just as a, as a way to meditate, take pride in being a dad. It's a special responsibility. I'm gonna give you the points of the sermon up front, so if you'd like to write those down, I'll, I'll try to make this easy for you. Um, be generous and allow choices. As young people, we often make bad choices but need some room to make choices on, um, you know, just going through the process, right? We have to be able to go through the process of experiencing the consequences of our decisions. Otherwise, how do we mature? But the point is, be generous and allow choices. Point number two, be compassionate when things don't work out for your children, not judgmental. Celebrate the small and large stuff in your children's lives as they are growing up. The third point is be a peacemaker for there will be conflict in your family. One of the most important things that we can do is learn from God because there's only one perfect father. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. chapter 15 and verse 11. We're going to go through the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And we'll break it down in those points. In verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let me ask you something. If your child or children came to you and said, Dad, I know that you're not dead yet, but can you please give me my inheritance now? How would you respond? <laughs> right? No. Which you already know the outcome in most instances, right? So all of a sudden you give them their inheritance, you're already thinking about all the damage that's going to be caused in this young person's life. Right? What you know, what, I, I, I would, right? Why did, but why did this father give him the inheritance anyway? Wouldn't God know already? Wouldn't this father, being a wise man, and he has an estate, so he knows he's not um, uh, somebody that, let's just say he's a smart man because he has an estate somehow. I'm not sure how he has it, but he has the estate. Bible doesn't go into it. If you have an estate today, you got some money. And so this man had some money, decided to go ahead and give it to him. And so my first point, again, is be generous and allow choices. As young people, we often make bad choices, but need some room to make choices as we go on through the process of experiencing the consequences of our decisions. Isn't that hard? 
to allow that rope or that room for kids to make mistakes. One of the most challenging things that a parent has to do is allow children to explore and make decisions. We have to explore the choices and talk about possible consequences, but ultimately there should be enough space given so that our children can grow. This is empowering. And don't you want empowered children in your life? Right? To be able to make decisions, good decisions later on. Okay? Let's get back to the story. Well, maybe first, let's, why don't we consider the opposite of empowering them? What happens when you try to control your children? Yeah. It doesn't work really well, right? What happens when, you try, when someone tries to control you? What is our response, right? We want to rebel and say, you're not the boss of me. You know how that can be. You don't even like your boss telling you what to do. <laughs> some of you decide I'm not going to have a boss. I'm going to be my own boss and start my own company. You know, some of us can't stand it. And so that's the point. Empower children. You don't have to tell them what to do. You can ask them and they're going to make good choices just like you want that respect they needed as well. That's a hard lesson. I'm, I had to learn, instead of just being command and control, my wife would make fun of me sometimes because I, I grew up with a military dad. And it was command and control. You know, do this, do that. You know, and then if you didn't do it, blah, 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 you know, you hear the bark and he's upset, you know. And, um, you know, that's just what he knew. He grew up as a military, enlisted at 17, and that's what I do as a dad. And so, you know, you always think that I'm not going to be like my parents, but you become exactly like them. At least that's where we start out. And then we have to make adjustments. <laughs> All right? So let's get back to the story. Not, in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Didn't you already know that that was going to happen? Yeah. In verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. All that means is he had to get a job. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Doesn't that sound like life today? When the consequences of bad choices start showing up, the life lessons start to show up too. What would have happened if the father sent him money? Don't we want to bail out our children when they get in trouble? One of the great challenges of being a parent is allowing God's natural consequences to teach children responsibility. We want to save them from life, and so we step in and we short-circuit the intended lessons that God has for them. How about saying let your kids go homeless? I think you've got to take a look at what their situation is, right? If they're grown, they may have to go through some hard times, though, so they can learn some great lessons. The young man, apparently, got hungry. And he realized that no one in the world was going to give him anything. Again, that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? He actually had to work for a living. There was no one to lend him any money or give him a free meal. He was on his own. Since he was making adult decisions, 
Apparently, God decided he needed to go through some adult consequences. In Proverbs 16, 26, the appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. Have you ever felt lazy and then got hungry and got up and got something to eat? <laughs> I know that's simple, right? But you're lazy. You don't want to get up and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally you get so hungry, you're like, man, I better get up. I got to eat something. Well, that's the point of the proverb. Your hunger drives you on. And hunger is interesting because hunger, and there are different types of hunger. There's spiritual hunger. You hunger for God. What does that make you do? It makes you get up, have a quiet time. You want to spend time with God. You read your Bible. You, you hunger for that. You know, you hunger for connection. What do you do? You call up a friend or spend time with your spouse. You hunger, and it, there's a need there. And you do something to meet that need. Hunger is good. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10 it says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Isn't that interesting? God's like, you've got to work. Otherwise, you're not going to eat. <laughs> That's hard. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Interesting. But this is something that we all have to pay attention to, because the dad didn't step in. The young man came to his senses. He was able to reflect on how good he had it. He started appreciating his dad's generosity and had a spiritual experience. He was like, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. Did you ever read any part of the passage where dad sent money to help him? Did he go visit him? He gave him half the estate and said, you know what? Love you, son. Here's your money. Here's half of your estate. And he sent him on. And he squandered it with wild living. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But as he got hungry, the Bible says he came to his senses. You ever make a bad decision that came to your senses later? I, I yeah. <laughs> we, we do that sometimes. I remember... You know, years ago, especially as a college student, going on dates and charging up my credit card. My wife, my wife helped me come to my senses <laughs> when we got married later, and I still had credit card debt. How many of us have found ourselves in trouble thinking about how they needed help and started praying? You ever been in help? You ain't been praying lately, then all of a sudden you had a great meeting, and all of a sudden you started praying? Right? So think about that. It helps you come to your senses. You start having a spiritual awakening because you have a need. God creates hunger. There are purposes for hunger. Because your kids are not going to listen to everything that you tell them. They know better. And they tell you that they know better. I don't even know how to be cool anymore. There is no cool in me. I just like to have fun. <laughs> My wife is cool, though. <laughs> but that's the point. God has natural consequences. 
So when we make bad decisions and have to face the consequences, it ushers us into some humility, and this is healthy. One of the most important lessons that we can teach our children is to refrain even or limit debt um, that they have in their lives, right? Because a lot of us are having high school students getting ready to go into college. How many high school graduates have we got out there? We got a few. They're all handsome and buff and stuff and, and beautiful and, you know, and everything else, right? They're ready to take on the world. And they are. I won't go into the facts, but on average, there's so much student loan debt out there that it literally debilitates most kids coming out of school later on. Because most of the jobs, you know, when they get out, they're probably paying around 40, 50 grand, but they racked up so much debt, some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know that's like a mortgage. Yep. And so what happens? Well, they come back home. Right? That's what that kid in the story did. He came back home. <laughs> he was like, man, I'm hungry. I, I can't, you know, take care of myself, so i got to go back home. You come to your senses. So in the process of growing up, we should really listen to parents, especially in this area of money, because it may help us. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt can delay the natural consequences of making bad decisions and can have a crippling effect on a person's life. It can distort a person's reality. You know what else? Can distort, this is free. free. Free relationship advice. Jealousy. Anger. It can distort your reality, right? You make bad decisions. You think you see it right, but you don't see it right. But that can do the same thing about life. The natural consequences of coming to your senses because you're in need now, because of debt, you have a credit card, you don't even feel that. You don't feel it until much later, until it gets so out of control that what happens? You go, oh my gosh, I can't deal with this. And your, your credit report starts to tank. You're, you're, you're like, man, I can't afford this. I need help. I, you know, you start looking. But that's, again, much later. The natural consequence of, again, coming to your senses will be delayed if young people are allowed to go into debt. They will remain out of touch in how bad their situation is until they have to pay it back. Have you ever heard the term, um, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. There's still a mess you got to clean up, essentially. Let's look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Point two. Be compassionate when things don't work out for your children. Not judgmental. Celebrate the small and large stuff in your children's lives as they are growing up. Because our tendency is to be judgmental, isn't it? Yeah. I told you. 
<laughs> Isn't that the best? Doesn't that feel good when you say, I told you that was going to happen? Who does that make feel good? Just a parent? Mm-hmm. How does that make the kid feel? Terrible. <laughs> Frustrates them, right? Yeah. A lot of time a child will not even want to share failures because they know they're going to hear, I told you so. Mm-hmm. But did God respond with, I told you so? He already knew that he was going to make mistakes, that he was going to squander the wealth, that he was going to blow his inheritance, and he still gave it to him. And then when he comes back, he throws a party instead of saying, I told you so. You see, in our imperfection, we want to be right instead of compassionate. I can struggle with that. As parents, right? It's a natural thing. I told you so. I wanted to save you, but you didn't listen to me. And don't you know I'm right because I'm a parent? (laughs) The son of the story was already humbled and hungry. The life lesson had already been learned, and he came back home. That's the most important thing. Life is going to teach us all lessons when we make poor decisions. The last thing we need to have is someone in our grill. Maybe I should say face. Somebody in our face. (laughs) Rubbing our stupidity in our faces. And we all have it. Typically when the consequences kick in, we already feel bad about ourselves, our situation, and we don't need anybody kicking us when we're down. Is that true? That's how I feel. I already know what I did wrong. But sometimes you've got to take it. You know, if you're a kid, you've got to take some of the lashing sometimes, too. You might have to hear it from time to time, I told you so. you still got to be humble because they're right. <laughs> it works both ways, though. God even gives us some insight into family dynamics and how some of the other siblings in the family can behave. They, they like to punish one another, throw jabs of judgment at one another. I told you. My third point is, be a peacemaker for there will be conflict in your family. In verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Have you ever seen a grown man or woman throw a fit? That just happened in the Bible. He was the older brother. Fast food places. He was throwing a man fit. The fits are usually preceded by the words... It's not fair. You hear that from your teenagers too, right? It's not fair. (laughs) What's not fair? (laughs) That you treat the younger one better than me. 
We usually become angry when we don't get what we want. The older brother perhaps felt like he was perfect, and the younger brother should have been punished. So he's throwing jabs. He didn't go back to his brother and say, Paul, I'm so glad you're home. I love you. I missed you. I wonder. I wonder how that would have made the younger brother feel had he been that way. There are many ways that the older brother could have been offended because of his perspective. He was like, Dad, I've been perfect this whole time. I've been slaving out in the fields. I've been taking care of the estate. And Dad's like, man, you could have had a fat calf. Anytime you wanted to, all you had to do was ask. But perspective, right? He still has some growing and some wisdom to grow into. So if you're an older sibling, I want to plead with you, be gracious to your younger ones. As a father, when you see conflict, you may have to step in and bring perspective to keep your peace. Fathers should be making sure that there is peace in the house and that people are gracious to one another. God the Father had to give the older child perspective. Don't expect perfection but perseverance for them. They will get better and mature. They need to do it with an understanding of the consequences, but need, but they don't need your judgment. And I told you so. That soil will choke off the growth of the relationship. You want there to be a lot of fruit on that relationship plant. You gotta water it, give it some sunshine. But it's gonna face bad weather. It's gonna face the elements. It's gonna face life. But a relationship will not be healthy in the soil of judgment. And with that, I wanna say happy Father's Day to you guys. That's all I have for you. Amen.